0: You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, everybody. So, I like to uh, spill cups of water on myself before I get up to talk. So, we got that checked off the list.
1: Just <laughs> got baptized, too, today. You got I, six Baptists. I
0: cannot look professional. It's I just can't. I try.
1: So this is my uh, beautiful and apparently very wet wife. Um, For those of you that don't know, Kelly is the worship pastor at the Moscow campus. And today, Thad and Tom are at the Moscow campus preaching. And Kelly and I came over here and we're preaching here. And next week, um, we'll preach the same sermon over there and they'll preach the same sermon here, which is great because it's Thanksgiving week, so we didn't have to work on preparing another sermon. It's all set and done, and everything's good to go. And you guys will get a well-rehearsed thought-through sermon from them because they will have already had a few reps at it. So uh, we are talking about worship, but before we get there, uh, I want to share something with you guys that's an opportunity for you to get involved in a a pretty cool way, I think. Um, So I grew up in church. I was a preacher's kid, and um, I, I came you know, I grew up with all the church baggage, all the typical church baggage. But what, what growing up in church did do for me that was a really good thing was it helped me have a frame of reference for the Bible and how it works and um, where it fits together and what the major stories are and all, all those pieces that just by the default of being in the environment, I picked up along the way that people who weren't raised in church kind of get caught not knowing. Thad did not come to the Lord until he was an adult. And I got to say this, do you guys love having Thad and Lanny as the campus pastors here? Like they're amazing and great, great at developing people. And I just really appreciate them. And I appreciate that Thad like, his, his preaching preparation, you just got to know this. For him, it's like sipping from a fire hydrant every week. Because he didn't grow up with the same, like, he grew up with, like, ACDC and Metallica. Like, that's what, that was his influences. Um, you know, those are the things that you just, you can't trade that. There's, nothing, there's no way to get that time back. And so he's trying to play catch up. Um, and I love that he's willing to step in and go, you know what, I'll take a swing at that anyway. I'll take a swing at that anyway. Every week he does it, and he does a great job. So here's something that's cool for you guys. Um, We have, our elders have made a decision to pay for Thad to go to Israel in June. So that's awesome. Here's where you get to help. Um, One of the things that's really hard about Israel is to come back and explain the experience that you've had. And if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about because it's like people go, well, how was was Israel? And you're like, I don't even have words. Like it's transformational. It was amazing. It was course altering. We stood in a room where Jesus actually taught. Like absorb that. How do you communicate what that means in the, so, so here's the here's the experience is when when people go over and they come back and people are like, tell me about it. Um, it's really hard to have words. So um, we thought that it might be really cool if you guys would help us to send Lanny too. Um, I here's here's. If you want to give to that, you can write a check or stick it in a title envelope, put it in the wooden boxes back here. Just mark it for Lanny or for Israel or for saving the DeBure marriage. Um, however you want to word that, but but I can't like I can't stress to you enough how difficult it is for somebody to have this. Like it's a it's a ground breaking, course altering experience for you to walk in these places where the Bible actually happened. And then to have to come home and to put it into words to somebody who didn't share that experience is really difficult. And I don't feel like we should do that to their marriage. I feel like it would be an easy one for us to fix. And so I'd love for you guys to step up and help partner with that. Um, that will help us to be able to uh, have Thad. And by the way, that will only benefit you. Because when Thad stands on the, on the stage full... And ready of the all the stuff that he absorbed in Israel, his sermons are going to be even better for you. Like you benefit from that experience for them, and so I'd love to have you help if you'd be willing to. You can mark that, give it um, to the church. You guys ready to go to work? We are in this series on worship, and this is week two. Um, last week we kind of talked about like how does worship. Keep me encouraged. Like, what does it do for me? And today, what we're going to do is go beyond that and talk about what does worship mean for the people around me. What does my worship mean for the people around me? And I know worship is a really big topic, and we're not. This is not an exhaustive sermon on worship. This is a very specific, very narrow slice of one thing that wo- that worship does for us in our ability to be a community that honors God well. And so we're going to begin with probably the most famous verse in the Bible about worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Here's what it says. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want to pull two words apart here because I think that they're misrepresented in the translation work. And by the way, Romans 12, like verses 1 to about verse 12, they call it word study alley. Um, There is just So much rich material in doing word studies here. I want to pull out a couple. The first one is the word spiritual. It says that um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, fully acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. The Greek word that's translated spiritual is the word logikane. Let me hear you say logicane. What does that sound like? Logic. We get our word logic from it. So spiritual is not a great translation. Some other translations will translate it reasonable. This is your reasonable act of worship that gets closer to it. But this specific cognate of this word is, um, it's really interesting. What it literally means is this is the only obviously logical choice. Like this is so blatantly obvious that it's It's like the hand in front of your face. That's the idea behind this. Like, it's not just, it's logical, it makes sense. No, this is the only thing that makes sense. The only thing that makes sense in view of all of God's mercies, the only thing that makes sense is worship. It's the only thing that makes sense. Everything else, anything else would be uncivilized. I don't remember what that commercial is, Gillette. Anything else would be uncivilized. television throwback, right? Y'all are talking to and I go, what was that? It was Gillette. It was Gillette. Trust me, Charles Barkley. It was terrible. <laughs> so this, this is the only place in the Bible that this word is used. It's used in other places in Greek literature, but it's really important for us to grab a hold of that. The, the, this word means obviously logic. It's not spiritual. It's not like, oh, man, God's, God's merciful, and so I just feel so spiritual. Not with worship. No. What he's saying is this is the only logical response. The only logical response to God's mercy is not to us is worship. Now, the other part, that, the other word that I want to pull apart here is the word worship. And the Greek word is the word latreion. Let me hear you say latreion. It means service, but specifically divinely appointed service or service in, this, in the act of serving a divine authority. Okay. So this word is used to translate the, the duties of the priests at the temple. The, the work of the priest where they're making sacrifices and they're doing the daily, um, taking the offerings and pastoring people and doing those things at the temple. The daily work of the priest is called Latreion. That's, that's what it is. And so the idea here is that in view of looking at what God has done for us, we should act in a way that is, shows we're dedicated to him. It's the only logical response that we could have. And we call that worship. We worship as a result of what God has done in us. And what's interesting in Christianity that's unique amongst other world religions is that in Christianity, we're called to actually do these things on behalf of other people. We call this intercession. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Like, should we pray on others' behalf? Yes. Should we worship on others' behalf? absolutely we should. And it is unique to Christianity that we can do this in behalf, on behalf of another person to our God. We can take a, someone else's needs to our God. This is part of the role of a priest. In fact, uh, I want to read this quote. This is from an Islamic sheik, and he lived uh, late 1100s, early 1200s AD, and he's really important in Islamic history. This is a guy who's been, he's very renowned. Here's what he says. The visible acts of worship such as prayer, fasting, purifying oneself, cannot be delegated to others because they have to do with the body of the person who is obliged to do them. So no one else can take his place except in the case of a vowed fast, which a person may do on behalf of one who's died. But this cannot be done by way of delegation. In Islam, you can't come in here and go, listen, I'm dying today. Can you worship on my behalf? Can you pray for me? Can you pray with me? You can't do that in Islam, but in Christianity you can. Pretty cool that we can do that on someone else's behalf.
0: Yeah, it's foundational to our faith as followers of Jesus. In first Timothy, it says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. We're urged to intercede on behalf of others. Intercession feels like a churchy word. We don't really use that word outside of the Christian world, but really it is anything we can do that is on behalf of someone else. So I wanted to just share um, something that happened in our life recently that has to do with this idea of intercession. So our third child, Gabe... Is 17, and I asked his permission to share part of his story. And uh, Gabe, for the last couple of years, has dealt with debilitating anxiety and depression, um, to the point where we had to take him out of school. He was having so many panic attacks a day, he couldn't he couldn't stay in class. Um, we were able to get his depression kind of stabilized, but the anxiety was just super elusive. And I mean, you guys, we tried everything. You know, we prayed, we're in the word, we're pleading with God. We went to a counselor, we went to psychiatrist, meds, you name it. We tried it in anxiety, nothing was touching it. And I remember going into his room one night and I kind of crawled up on his bed next to, next to him. He's this huge hairy man child and I kind of put my arm around him and I said, how are you doing, buddy? And uh, I mean, there was just nothing, just nothing. And he goes, mom, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And as a mom, like that's really scary. And I, I, I didn't know what else to do. I felt totally helpless. So I kind of just put my arm around him, and I prayed out loud over him, and we both cried, and I just begged God, please move. Please show Gabe that you're still at work. Please. And as I left his room, so I'm a worship leader, and so music is super, super important to me and impactful in my life, and as I left his room and I went and got in bed, I felt the Lord giving me the lyrics to do it again, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again." And I was like, okay. And I woke up that morning, and immediately what was on my heart was, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And I was like, yes, okay, all right. And we started worshiping. We started worshiping the songs over our son. And I want to tell you today, excuse me, he got his GED. Yeah, that was a big one, you guys. I didn't think we were going to make it. His anxiety is completely stabilized, like, like we have our son back. Um, he has a job that he loves. He works at the theater in Moscow, so you should go say hi. He's hanging out with his friends. He's hanging out with us. It, it's been a long time coming. And the only difference was we started worshiping on behalf of our son. That's the only difference. And I don't know why that works. And yet in scripture, we're urged. We're urged to intercede. So there's something to it. So Jeremiah 27 says, sorry.
1: So distracting. I gave her the big mic today. Yeah, I don't know how to use it. I'm regretting this. I'm regretting this.
0: (laughs) If they are prophets... And if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts that the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. We see many instances throughout scripture where people intercede on behalf of one or behalf on behalf of many. So Abraham intercedes for Sodom, interestingly enough, not because God wants to destroy the town for sexual immorality. It's not that. He wants to destroy it because of their lack of hospitality, which tells you something about hospitality and, and how God sees that. But so, so. Abram kept kind of bargaining, hey, you know, if we could find maybe this many, then you wouldn't have to destroy it. Okay, we can't find that many. What about if we found this many? And so he's interceding on behalf of the town. Little did they know. Moses interceded for the children of Israel in the desert after he had gone up to Sinai. He's gone for only 40 days and 40 nights, and evidently the Israelites are like, we've been forgotten. We've been forgotten. And so that's when they build the golden calf, and God is like, no, nope, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses goes, wait, 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 wait. Remember, like, you brought them out of Egypt, and we don't want the Egyptians thinking a certain thing because you have this big plan. And so he intercedes on behalf of them. When God was like, <laughs> he was going to do away with them all. And priests, priests interceded for the people constantly. We are called to be a kingdom of priests, interestingly enough, which means we're to intercede on behalf of others, too. How many of you were at the Brad Gray Biblical Context Conference?
1: Yes, it was yes, so good. so
0: good. He had, he had an amazing physical illustration. He had people come up on the stage and showed kind of what it really looked like today, you know, to be priests. It just simply means to intervene, to intercede, whether that's prayer, whether that's worship, on behalf of other people. So... When it comes to our corporate worship time, what does our worship or what does our lack of worship do for others around us?
1: We had to consider that. You know, I remember this, that particular low point um, with Gabe and it, what was interesting for Kelly and I is that we were, I mean, it wasn't like we weren't praying, right? Like, it wasn't like we weren't reading the Bible. It wasn't like we didn't have our friends around us and we were trying to talk. It wasn't like we weren't doing all those things. And the Lord very clearly gave me two songs to worship over him and said, you need to worship these songs over him. I was like, oh, that's weird. I've never done that before. He was like, yeah, just do it. You know how God is. It's like, stop making excuses. Just do what I'm asking you to do. the The interesting thing is, it's the same two songs that He gave to Kelly, but He gave them to us completely independently of one another. And when we came together, she was like, "I think the Lord gave me these two songs to sing over Gabe." I was like, "That's the weirdest thing. He gave them to me too." And so we just were worshiping, and and like, it's shifted. It, it. We talked about this last week. Like when when we worship, we do business in the spiritual world. There is a spiritual reality around us. And worship is us doing battle in that space. And so when we do that, when we worship, we do business in a way that favors the Lord there. And that opens up opportunities for God to work in the physical. What is that sound? Did you hear that?
0: He's pointing. He's going.
1: It wasn't me. Dude, you just throw her <laughs> under the bus. Just, oh, all right. <laughs> That's funny. So we want to talk about three things that worship does in this area of our worship and how it affects other people. We want to talk about three ways that it affects other people around us. Number one, our worship changes us and others get blessed. And I'm going to uh, read out of Matthew chapter 13. And this won't sound like it's about worship, but it is. So uh, Matthew chapter 13, this is Jesus telling a parable. And what we know is that every parable, um, every rabbi that taught a parable in the first century, they always had what was called a remez in it. That means hint. It's the the idea that I'm going to tell you a story, and within that story, I'm going to drop a hint, and that hint is going to anchor you to an Old Testament passage. And it's in that passage that you're going to find the meaning of what I'm trying to tell you. So the parable is confusing, but not if you can figure out the remez. So the debate for you and I, once we read the parable or hear the parable is, where's the remez? So you say, well, it's this and this and this because this passage. And I think he's alluding to this. And here's that. And I'm like, no, it's this. It's this is the remez because of this passage. And here's this idea. And we, you and I, so this rabbi teach, tells a story and we start debating the text. Pretty cool, huh? So, this is what Jesus is doing. Now, what you and I have to figure out is what's the remes? It says, He told them another parable saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Okay. Two problems with this parable. Number one, there's two kinds of mustard in the Middle East. One is like the cultivated, like you would go and buy the yellow mustard in the store kind of mustard. The other is a weed that's a noxious weed that's like, it is the most miserable thing. They hate it. It's like if you think about the most invasive weed that you can think about, like Canadian thistle or something like that, something that just kind of moves in and takes over and you can't get rid of it. Uh, you think about the one for you. Um, that is the other kind of mustard. And that's actually the kind of mustard that's being talked about here. So when it's, when you hear, this is like a, the kingdom of God is like a guy who went out and took some of that noxious weed and sowed it in his garden. That's dumb. The other thing that we need to think about is this. Both of those plants, neither one of them become trees, So when he says it grows up and becomes a tree, that's like, wait a minute, that doesn't belong there. What do you mean it becomes a tree? Mustard isn't a tree. A tree in which birds come and rest in the shade of his branches. Oh, I know a passage in the Old Testament that talks about that, Ezekiel 17. Where in his vision, God comes down, pulls a sprig out of the dry tree of Israel, plants it, makes it a mighty mighty tree, a mighty cedar, and the birds of all the nations come and rest in the shade of its branches. What Jesus is saying here is that when the kingdom acts like the kingdom, everyone around gets blessed. People who aren't part of the kingdom get blessed. Like when the kingdom acts like the kingdom... People who aren't part of the kingdom receive good things. And that's how it's supposed to be. We, we want to act as if like we worship. We come in here and we worship and we get right with God and we do God's things and then God blesses me. But you out there, you pay for your sucky life out there. No, actually, when we do right business in here, they get blessed too. Because we're doing work there and and we live in this world that is so polarized and like who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out. And what Jesus is saying is stop worrying about that. Like be the kingdom and let God do what God does. And all of a sudden, everybody's better for it. our worship changes us, but it blesses them, too. That's what he's talking about here.
0: Another thing our worship does is when we worship, it inspires those who can't worship for themselves. And that's exactly what Shiloh was talking about in the video when her mom was going through a really rough time, and so she worshiped on her mother's behalf and then inspired her mom. What you don't know about that story is that Shiloh's a pretty new believer. Um, She just joined our worship band in Moscow, but she's been doing gigs since she was like 12 or 13 but church and worship for her was like this way vulnerable, different thing. So she's kind of easing into it. And that was the first time that she had ever put her hand in there. She was telling me about it. And she goes, I saw my mom, and my mom just was broken. And I knew that wasn't like my mom normally, because my mom is like, she worships her brains out. And I was like, I gotta do something. So I, I just grabbed her and I, I closed my eyes and I stuck my hand in the air and, and I started crying and it was horrible. And, but then the next thing I knew, my mom was joining me and her worship affected her mom and it's so beautiful, so beautiful. Psalm 34, one through three says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's put that last. Yeah, thanks. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, in some older translations of the NLT, humbled is actually translated discouraged. So we could read that as let the discouraged hear and be glad. Hear what? My worship. Your worship. Be glad be inspired, be reminded. Humbled is this word, it's this Hebrew word, anav. And it's translated several different ways throughout scripture. It's translated 13 times as meek. It's translated five times as humble, five times as poor, two times as lowly, and once as very meek. And it's it's this idea of being in this low, low state of being that on your own, you can't pull yourself out of it you are completely at the mercy of someone else's generosity to come in and help pull you out of that. Last week, we talked a little bit about Acts 16, where Paul and Silas are in prison, and they're worshiping, and their chains fall off. And everybody else's chains fall off, too. But not everybody was worshiping. Just Paul and Silas were worshiping. But everybody got the benefit of their worship. That is so beautiful. We had, well, we had uh, a member at our Moscow campus and um, she actually left and went to go help the Montana church plant. And that girl was loud during worship. She didn't sing. She shouted. (laughs) Some people were sort of annoyed by it. I, as a worship leader up front, loved it. And I was like, Like, every time she worshipped, I was moved to tears. First of all, because um, those of us who are up on the stage, we wear in-ear monitors that are sort of like um, earplugs. So we can't really hear a lot because we're listening to what's going on inside of our ears. But I could hear her loud and clear over my earplugs. And um, just every time she inspired me. And there was this one time where I, after worship was over, I... I ran down, and I saw her leave in the auditorium, so I ran out, and I pounced on her, and I said, so, you inspire me, but you don't really sing so much as you're yelling. And she's like, I know. She said, I just feel like the louder I am, the faster the chains will fall off. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I know for me, like metaphorically, but I mean, for real spiritually, her worship helped helped my chains fall off. Helped me be reminded in times when I was just getting up, taking that stage really, because it was my job. But I wasn't feeling it that day. And she reminded me that God is at work. He's powerful. Like, she helped my chains come off.
1: And I had a lot of people that would come to me and go, "Aaron, can you do something about her? Like, and I was like, you mean like duplicate her? Cause I would take a thousand of her like for, for real. You want to get lit up in your worship? Like, come on. (laughs) I am okay with that because it matters. Like you're, I'm not like, if you're just doing it to be a show, knock it off. But for her, that was absolutely sincere at her core. Like, it matters when we worship like that. Even even when we don't necessarily have it all together, we worship like that because the person standing next to me is inspired by it. And so I was like, I I, I will never tell her to be quiet. In fact, if anything, I will tell her get louder. Like, that's the kind, That's what it means to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That's what it means. The third thing that we want to talk about here is that worship blesses our worship blesses other people. And I, and I know that that sounds similar to the first point, but a different angle. I want to read a passage of scripture out of Isaiah chapter 30. And what's happening is God is coming through the prophet Isaiah and he's saying, Hey Israel, it's time for you that I'm going to liberate you from out from under Assyria. It's time for that to happen. And so here's what it says. It says, you shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept and gladness of heart. As when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord. Apparently we all walk to the sound of a flute. You know, happiness, flute walking. To the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with the cloudburst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. So the Lord Walks softly and carries a big stick is kind of what he's saying here. Now listen to this this next line. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Here's what he's saying. Like the tambourine is the absolute metaphorical instrument for worship throughout the scriptures. What he's saying is God's going to come and spank the Assyrians and it's going to sound like your worship. Hear me. Your power in this world to change things for good is not in your ability to outreason someone else, to outconvince or outprove anyone politically, socially, religiously. That is not where your power lies. Your power lies in your ability to worship your God and unleash him on this community. That's where your power lies. And until we're willing as God's followers to go there, I'm not saying don't have an opinion. Have an opinion. You're free to have an opinion. That doesn't matter. But don't think that your opinion changes the world. It doesn't. Your worship of God does. Remember, we do business in the spiritual world that translates into what's happening around us physically. Matthew 5. He says this, But I say to you, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you. Those left wing liberal sows and sows. Love your enemies. Love them. And pray for them. Like start there. Not with, well, you have ten points that you're just dumb about. Right? Doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What he says is, when you love your enemies, you look like God. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. No pressure. Here's here's the idea. When I worship... It changes me. And when I'm changed, everyone around me has to be changed as well. They don't have a choice. Here's why. Because the place that I speak from in relationship is the place that I invite you to speak from. Let me tell you how this works. If I have an anger problem and I come to you and speak to you in anger, where do I invite you to speak from? Anger. If I speak to you from defensiveness or insecurity or selfishness, where do I invite you to speak from? Same place. Conversely, if I speak to you from a place of peace, where do I invite you to speak from? This is why uh, the Bible says that maturity in Christ is, first of all, peace-loving. Because when I do business with the Lord in my own heart, it changes me. And when I'm changed, everywhere I go, everyone is different because I'm inviting them to a different space in relationship. I'm having conversations with them from a different place. Like think about this, husbands with your wives. First and foremost, if you're in an anger, you're in the crazy cycle. Right, and it's spinning down, spinning down, spinning down. Like maybe the place to interrupt the pattern is for you not to 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 stop trying to prove that she's wrong, and go do some business with the Lord, and then come back and invite her to a place of peace, and have the conversation there. It'll be crazy what you can come up with. With that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. Um, so if those of you that are serving communion, go grab it. If you're new with us, we take communion every week. Um, we, if, if we have an open table here. What that means is uh, anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is invited to partake with us, but we want you to hold the elements till the end, and we'll take them all together. And, and while they're passing that out, uh, we're going to work through a few like, key take-home points that we want you to take home and wrestle with this week.
0: Yeah, that, that's our heart. We we don't want you to have, to check off, hey, I, I went to church today, and never think about what we talked about today. Because this is so powerful, you guys. Not only can it change our church, it can change our families, our marriages, it can change our community if we get this right. So I just really want to encourage you to to go to your to go to your home groups. I'm still calling them care groups. Go to your home groups, your families, your friends, your dorm rooms. Take these notes. Wrestle them. Wrestle them. The first one is so how we approach God in worship has a direct effect on those around me during worship. I want to share something from my heart, real quick, as a worship leader. I'm one of the few people that get to see your faces during worship, right? You're all standing next to each other and looking at the backs of people. But I can see your faces. And while I do have a job to do up here, um, I, and I take it very um, seriously, I really want to inspire you and and remind you that God is in the room and, and that he's worthy to be worshipped. At the same time, I'm a worshipper just like you, so I, I'm worshipping. And... Um, there's times when I see people just visiting. They're just visiting while, while we're singing songs to God. And my heart aches, and I'm distracted, but my heart aches because part of me feels like, have we just not done a good enough job teaching people that, that God's here in the room? That like this is our one chance in the service to actually give him something, the rest of the service we take. And I know, like, that's not on me. It's up to God to change people's hearts and reveal things. I know that. I'm just sharing from my heart what it does to me as a fellow worshiper. Super distracting and, and discouraging. Conversely, when people are worshiping, I can, and I can tell they're engaged, or even if just their eyes are closed, but I can tell they're present with the Lord, oh, that inspires me to worship more. It really does and I bet if I were to ask some of you, you'd say the same thing. That when you see others around you, it really can encourage you to. It's amazing. It's powerful. Number two, showing up for church isn't just a religious duty. It's a way to inspire others to keep going. Music is powerful. It bypasses the brain and goes straight to the heart. And sometimes it's like some of these songs we sing over and over, and all of a sudden a line will come out, and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He is still doing that. That's right. He's still moving. Okay, we got this. Let's go forward. I know one thing that sticks out in my mind is we have some friends, the Qualls family, who had 11 children. They adopted four. And they lost their 13-year-old daughter in a car accident a couple years ago. And her service, her memorial, was on a Saturday. And the next day, they were in church. They always sit in the second row. And they were worshiping. Now, I can't say that they were always singing. But their heart was engaged to God. And as they wept, they put their hands in the air because they believed God was still good. And that did something to me because, of course, I can see them from the stage. And I was like... I can get through whatever I'm currently going through right now. If they can, I can. And lastly, when worship changes you, it changes those around you. One of the gals in my last home group, Natalie, she's 21, she was sharing with me how it's been super vulnerable for her to kind of press into worship and kind of give more of herself during the worship time, and I said, I know it really is, and she says, but like something happens when I open myself up, and I said, I know, and I said, I, I feel like healing really can't happen unless we're vulnerable, right? For those of you who have gone to therapy or counseling, like you cannot, you cannot get healing unless you open yourself up and are vulnerable at a certain point, point. and I think that we can't have healing with the Lord and become whole unless we can get vulnerable with him during worship, you guys. And I know it's hard, like we're not alone. There's a lot of us in this room and sometimes it is awkward. But I can tell you, you know when it's not awkward is when you've done it so often that it's not awkward. Yeah, that's what changed it for me because I'm actually an introvert. Um, I want to leave you with this and then we'll take communion. So my husband, when we were going through this stuff with Gabe, in the middle of it, our marriage was probably at its lowest point. And while we weren't talking about divorce, we didn't really see how it was going to get any better. It was bad. And... He started worshiping daily. I could hear him in the downstairs bathroom, loud, through the closed door, getting ready, worshiping. And I started seeing some changes in our home, and he came to me one day just kind of checking in. Hey, how are we doing? And I said, you know, like, circumstances aren't any different. I said, and yet there's a heaviness that's lifted in our home. I said, that probably sounds weird. But I said, there's like a, there's a peace. Um, and the only thing really that I could put my finger on was that Aaron had started worshiping daily. And as he was changing, it was changing me, so it was changing our marriage, and it was changing our household.
1: She, she started saying stuff like, you know, you're just so much more gentle. And I'm like, nah, Cause I didn't feel any different. Like I didn't. There wasn't any kind of like worship. Ah, oh, I feel squishy in my heart. Like I never, I never had any of that. Like, and she was like, "No, you're different." I was like, "No, you're worshiping, so you're seeing me differently." And she's like, "No, people are coming up to me and saying you're different," and I and I, you know, you're gonna go with that so long before you have to kind of give it some credibility. The thing is, I just never. I don't feel any different today than I did two years ago. What I can tell you is, I don't know if you know this, but I I'm sarcastic. <laughs> um, and sarcasm number one is the lowest form of humor, and it can come with an edge, right? Especially when you have sarcasm and in a reaction to somebody pushed a button and they hurt your feeler, and you and I'm reactive that way. And, and, uh, like, I don't know that that ever actually turned off. What I know is I don't get my buttons pushed as often. Does that make sense? Like in worshiping, I don't go to those insecure places as often anymore. So I don't know that I feel different other than to say the things that used to rattle me don't the the instability that i used to feel in my heart it's not there anymore like i can come from a place of peace because i'm not concerned about the things that used to get me worked up and we've worshiped our way to a place like it's the only thing that changed hear me say this we pray We read our Bible. We are in church. We're in small groups, like multiple ones a week. We're in ministry. We are having spiritual conversations. We were doing that when the world fell apart. The only thing that changed to help us start to put things back together is worship. It's the only thing that we did different. And circumstantially, not really much has changed, but everything's different. Like, we are different, and because of that, everything around us takes on a different shape. This, like, that is, full real. And, and I'll just say this: Men, lead the way in your homes. Don't wait for. Well, she's not being nice to me, so I'm not going to worship for her. That's dumb. And we do that. We say those kind of things. Like, I'm not going to do nice things for you because you were, yeah, you because. Know, because your bad choice makes it okay for me to make a bad choice. Now, men, lead the way. Set the standard in your home. You want God to work in your home, prepare the way. I'm just telling you, it changes everything. Everything is different. Um, it, it's, a, it's such a cool segue into communion because communion is this reminder for us that in the midst of life, that our primary call is to lay our own agenda down so that God can have his way in us and through us, whatever that is. And I promise you, it's not what you had in mind. It's just better than anything you come up with on your own. This, this reminder that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thanks for this reminder of the beginning of what it means to follow you. Thanks for this call to worship for ourselves and for others. Thanks for this reminder that our worship changes Our community. Lord, give us the courage to worship you in such a way that we unleash you on the community and your work and your grace and your compassion in ways that are transformational, not just for us, but for people who don't even know you yet. And when they come to know you, God, we will worship you and praise you for that as well, because you're worthy of that. Let all the discouraged take heart because of the praise that is coming from our mouth. In your name, Amen.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter and visit our website, liferotp.com.